Welcome to I Am, I Have, How It Helps. Today I'm talking to Noel Bell. Noel is an addictions counsellor and a psychotherapist and we're talking about gambling addiction specifically and exploring what problem gambling addiction is, the nuance around therapeutic intervention and Noel's thoughts on supporting a loved one with a gambling issue. We're talking about gambling addiction today as Haberfall's sister site counselling directory has seen a 168% increase in people searching for support to stop gambling. We have thousands of counsellors at counselling-directory.org.uk and there's also the free national helpline GamCare who you can call on 0808 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or visit gamcare.org.uk. All links and numbers are also in our show notes. We really hope that this episode is helpful and we'd love it if you could rate, review and share. Today we're talking to Noel Bell. Noel is an addictions counsellor and a psychotherapist who has spent over 20 years exploring and studying personal growth, recovery from addictions and inner transformation. Today we're going to be talking about gambling addiction specifically and Noel will be sharing his expertise in this area. Welcome Noel. Hi Lucy. Perhaps you could start by telling us a bit more about yourself and your area of expertise and your interest when it comes to gambling addiction. Sure. Well, I trained in an intricative way, which means I didn't, I wasn't trained in one particular modality or approach. And I'm particularly drawn to the intricative approach because I think I, I remember the old analogy of um, turning up on the, the, the job with a toolbox and there might be multi compartments and many spanners and tools to use. So I like, I like that idea. And gambling, I worked at GamCare, which was the national charity for gambling addiction. You see that logo on betting websites and the gambling industry contributes money. Some would say probably not enough, but they contribute some money to the upkeep and to providing a phone-in service for problem gamblers and their families and also counselling. So I worked there and and that was kind of at the cold face of dealing with problem gambling because often people would only get in touch when things were absolutely at a chronic state. Their problem was very acute by that stage. So you were dealing with people who were very much in crisis. And that kind of sparked my interest. It was still whilst I was training and then in my early part of my private practice. But then I concentrated on exploring addiction recovery generally. And gambling is a big part of that. And I do see quite a few people who have gambling problems. So I'm always looking to explore not so much the issue itself, but why the addiction? Because often behind the addiction, behind the obsessive thinking and behavior is a lot of pain. And I think it's my role to try and help someone access what those emotional past wounds are, the past traumas, and then help them kind of see that uh, can tolerate feelings and emotions. Because really, gambling is probably one of the most active ADHD type behaviors. It's not dealing with staying in the moment. It's not dealing with feelings, thoughts in the present. 
So something about understanding what's behind the pain, I think, is is where I think gambling therapy can help. I'm so grateful you've come on today because one of the reasons we've asked you to talk to us about gambling addiction is because we've seen a surge in the last three months on the counselling directory of people looking for support with gambling addictions or gambling addictions for loved ones. So let's start with what a gambling addiction might look like and how it will impact the person that's living through that or maybe those who are closest to them. Well, when it becomes a problem, and this is where I usually come in, because before then, there's a lot of you know people who quite rightly say, you know, we don't want the nanny state. We work hard all week, earn our money. We want to have a flutter. And that's absolutely fine. So I'm not anti-gambling. Where I come in is where people have become so fixed in their behavior. They've got negative impacts on their finances, on their relationships, on their mood. And there are physical and mental health implications of their addiction. I think it's at that point where is where someone like me can can help someone take a view of their life and you know what's happening in their life and again what is the you know, what is the pain that's behind the obsessive behavior there's usually a lot of conflict in personal relationships and there can be sleep problems and generally speaking life is not going very well if you're in the grip of addiction where someone thinks they need 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 help. That's so interesting. So there will be different points up until that that crunch point, like you were talking about with with gam care. It will have started to kind of seep out into the rest of your relationships, perhaps your sleep, the way that you're feeling, maybe how you're dealing with life financially as well. So I said to you, we we've seen this huge surge in people searching for how they can stop gambling. If somebody wants to stop, what's the first thing they can do to help themselves? Well, Lucy, it might it might sound like the most obvious thing, but it's sometimes the most obvious and the most the simple things are often the best things to say, which is to acknowledge the problem. Denial is a massive feature of all addictions, but particularly gambling, because gamblers will convince themselves that if only they can manage it slightly better, things will be okay. If that result went well, I mean, there's two types. There's probably many types of gamblers, but I like to think of basic types as escape gamblers or action gamblers. Escape gamblers are the people that will almost invariably become problem gamblers. They're the ones who are seeking to escape difficult feelings, the mundane, their difficult job, their inability maybe to accept reality. They need a buzz. They need a fix. And sometimes escape gamblers are not even in search of the, you know, the, the big win. They just want to stay in the zone, which is preoccupied with their gambling. So they don't have to worry about their bereavements, their past wounds or their worries or their relationship difficulties. You know, with casinos, target people like this because, you know, the idea of, you know, variable reward schedules is you drip feed a little win to people. You take their money, you take all their money eventually, but not too quickly. So Mm. they have to have an experience. And casinos are timeless places. There's no 
you know, you wouldn't know if it was night or day. You know, if you went to Las Vegas, there's no clock on the wall. There's 24-7 lighting and you can just get lost. So I think that's escape gamblers. Action gamblers, the ones who really do think, believe they can make it pay because they can beat the house, beat the market. They're the ones that, you know, you have to do quite a bit of cognitive reconstruction with some of the CBT tools because they can go broke very quickly because they go for you know they get convinced that there's an outcome is is so certain so they'll you know to use the the racing term they'll lump on it just depends where someone is in that and I think it is a, a spectrum um you know along that line and it's where someone is in that spectrum will determine the nature of where the, the problem that they're currently in with an escape gambler, I can almost feel that you would be suspended in a moment in time where perhaps your worries outside of that don't exist because you're you're in a moment, you're getting a feeling, perhaps you're getting a rush. I don't know whether it's a, a physical feeling as well. And with action, there's always that promise that you are going to get the big win or you're, you're going to beat the yeah. system. So those are really powerful feelings, aren't they, that, that could keep you in that space. Yes, and I think there's a synergy here with sex and affairs. Counselling and therapy can often be seen to be, you know, a little bit kind of of the nanny state as well, that where's the fun? You know, I'm not allowed to gamble. And then that sometimes counsellors and therapists can be accused of being sex negative because, you know, when someone is having affairs, it's considered bad and morally bad. Where I come in is... I kind of acknowledge that inside us all, there's that libido drive for excitement, for adrenaline, for exhilaration, uh, spontaneity. These are all the things of, of an exciting life. And who wouldn't want to access that part of them that is exciting? The thing is, the work in counseling and therapy can be, rather than seeking it through the affair or through you know escape gambling can one find those elsewhere in rekindling maybe old hobbies in accessing new things to learn you know access something within them that represents that kind of exhilaration excitement and spontaneity that they get from their gambling because often when people think about stopping they think life is going to be grim it's going to be really boring that makes complete sense and we all have that within us that desire to feel alive and spontaneity and like you said the libido drive but it sounds like what we're talking about is when it moves into something which is damaging to you and your life and and that sphere around you if we wanted to talk about specifically counseling what are the kind of tools or support that someone will need if they're going to stop problem gambling because as you've said, it, it will have a feeling, it will have a motivation. So I, I can imagine they will need that toolkit. Yes, it depends again where someone is on that spectrum. Some people are so addicted, they just don't feel like they can stop themselves. The endorphins are so buzzing around their brain. The addictive behavior almost has them in a vice grip. And they don't see a way out. And any rational person would think, well, come on, get a grip. And like actually most people do, most people who encounter addictive behaviors will think, oh, my relationship is suffering. Uh, I'm about to get in trouble with the boss. I better get a grip. And they do. 
you know, it's a fallacy to think that the rehab culture, uh, that one has to go into treatment in order to stop an addiction. That's not true. Most people will stop on their own, actually. Where we come in, I think, is where people feel like they can't stop on their own. It's just like they, they can't see a, a way out of, of leading a different life and stopping what they're doing. And it feels a bit like sticking plasters. Um, having blocking software on one's phone or laptop actually can maybe help someone from accessing websites, obviously banning themselves from websites. But of course, just like banning themselves from the casino or from bookmaker shops, if you live in a big city, that is, there's always somewhere else to go so it can kind of feel a bit like a sticking plaster that but getting someone to manage your money uh, I always think ATM access the money if someone doesn't have access I mean when people can actually let their partners or friends or family can actually physically control their money um, in those early days of stopping that someone can actually just have an allowance so that they don't have the means by which to to go gambling that can help in those very early days and you know it then gets a little bit uh, nuanced someone who has a gambling problem will access counseling and therapy but they've already stopped and then the work then is not so much stopping it's actually staying stopped and it's quite a difference between the two because then it's understanding what their triggers are that's going to threaten their relapse and you have a try to devise with someone a relapse prevention strategy and and that can be just getting people aware of their own triggers often the triggers are boredom feeling lonely worries about work and gambling can appear as something that they can go into escape with everything you've said I can just hear how nuanced it can be and how complex it can be and how individual but there are some universal support mechanisms that are out there for people who are struggling with gambling one of the things that you said earlier on when we were talking about that excitement or feeling alive is encouraging people to go back to old hobbies other positive habits that you personally encourage people to to look to when it comes to moving away from gambling I always say action is the magic word when it comes to avoiding idleness because with the endorphin charge that your brain is getting from gambling that has to be replaced by something and it's not uncommon you know someone stops one behavioral addiction and suddenly you find they're at the gym 10 times a day (laughs) and actually what they're seeking is a rush elsewhere so maybe that's a positive addiction so long as they're staying physically safe because in those early days yes your brain actually needs something else to get you know the endorphins from and if if that's happening then there's maybe less likely that there's going to be an impulse for gambling because remember gambling disorder is an impulse control disorder i mean that it's the only non-chemical behavioral addiction that's officially listed in the psychiatric bible the dsm so you know gaming is there considered for future research but gambling is really the only one that's sort of considered by the psychiatric profession as uh, as a, an official addiction so you know it is it is quite powerful and brain studies have shown that 
the brain gets affected in the, in similar way to chemical drug addiction. The reward centers of the brain light up in the same way. So it is powerful, but then you're not physically addicted. It's quite a difference than if someone is coming off heroin. So it's definitely something which can control your mind, but it's not a physical addiction. It's control no. your mind too strong a phrase, perhaps. Well, I think it can, you know, when you're affect dysregulated, when you're seeking, when you're ill at ease, when you're feeling out of sorts, it's almost like the lure of gambling is kind of controlling your mind when it's a problem because it, it appears to be the only choice uh, in that moment. And, you know, people have said to me they had every intention of not gambling one day somehow they ended up gambling almost like it was they were possessed so in that way maybe yeah possibly it's controlling the mind and one of the things is front of mind you know i i have noticed since we started looking at this data how much gambling is around you know just adverts on tv a couple of podcasts i've listened to they've been sponsored by somebody who is a should i say a soft gambling site if if there is such a thing you know, I've read about crypto gambling and Plinko and all these things that are just accessible from our laptops very, very easily. That must make it really tough when you're trying to give up. Yeah. And it's tw- it's 24-7 for sure. Uh, you mm. know, when I'm, I'm of a certain generation that remembers, uh, gosh, I, I can remember like Windows 95 coming in. <laughs> so you had to physically go somewhere in order to access websites, including gambling sites. Now, it's literally anywhere at any time of the day. And the inducements to gamble are massive. So the Gambling Act 2005, I think it was, um, that allowed at TV advertising and that just fueled a lot of it. Now, I've got a couple of views on this just because uh, there is massive inducements to gamble. Now it's like it's not enough to watch a sporting event. You've got to have a financial interest in it. And that can there can be so much inducements to gamble. But also everywhere you go on the high street, there are opportunities to drink alcohol yeah. from off licenses to supermarkets to hotels, pubs. It doesn't mean you go you need to go and have a drink. The area of personal responsibility has to come in as well. And that's what the gambling industry would say. Well, why let those who become problem gamblers ruin the enjoyment that most people have, which is to enjoy a flutter, go to the races or the casino or the national lottery and um, and have fun? It's a very difficult one. And, and one of the most searched terms for us is quit gambling cold turkey. And I just wanted to ask you about this. In terms of quitting cold turkey, from what you've said so far, it seems that that perhaps if you do have a problem with gambling, a kind of withdrawal from gambling might be more difficult. But but tell me what your thoughts are on quitting gambling cold turkey in response to that search query. First of all, does gambling mirror some of the substance abuse methodology? And to some extent, it probably does in terms of withdrawal the concept of tolerance having to bet more and more frequently to get the same hit you could see as 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 similarities but as we said before the endorphin release accepted it's not like cold turkey from um physical addiction 
So is it safe to do cold turkey? Of course it is, yes. And it's not like coming off alcohol withdrawal that needs to be medically supervised. It's not like that at all. Now, the other interesting question is, is cold turkey necessary in order for recovery from, from gambling? And I would say no. Yeah, there are some studies that show that people can taper off their gamma. It doesn't have to be sudden, total acceptance of abstinence and then a program of recovery to start. That actually, studies have shown that some people abstain from some gambling activities and they have a a way of not doing the kind of the worst parts of their gambling and then they restrict. It's like damage limitation. And, and then they might end up abstinence later on in their recovery journey. So I just think that's another interesting little one that some there are some, particularly in the drug rehabilitation field, who would see gambling as an illness, as a, it's almost like, um, like alcoholism. It's something that needs total abstinence. And then a program of recovery based around the Minnesota method, the 12 steps of recovery made famous by Alcoholics Anonymous and then Gamblers Anonymous. That's very different to a damage limitation strategy and seeing addiction, particularly a behavioral addiction such as gambling, as something that is a self-medicating activity that's hiding past emotional wounding. And in terms of a damage limitation approach that you were talking about, is that the kind of thing that it, it would be good to work with a therapist on? Because that sounds like quite something to undertake if you're at the point of crisis, perhaps, and trying to stop gambling. Is that something you really need to work with someone else on? Or is that something people can can start to think about themselves? That's a very, very thin line. Being in denial that you've got a problem, well, if one person came and said, well, it's stocks and shares that are my problem. I'm okay with the horses. Well, are you? Or will the horses become more obsessive? And will the staking increase because you're not doing the stocks and shares? So it is a very thin line. Denial can masquerade as that everything is okay when really the problem is they need to stop completely. So I think it is quite individualist. Some people realize that it's the day-to-day monitoring of the markets is the issue. And, and you know, I've worked with people that actually work with the financial markets in the city of London, say, and they've got to then still work with the financial markets right. in their job, unless they, were, unless they were to leave their job. So it's much more nuanced. And, but that's the nature of addiction because it's like food. You know, we can start to get a more healthy relationship with food when we realize we're comfort eating, mm. but we've still got to eat. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's not that we can withdraw it from society completely. We can't blank out those, I guess, those temptations or those evils, whichever way you're yeah. looking at it. And what I love about everything you've said is reinforcing that nuance and that individualism. And there's there's no one size fits all, but there are lots of different ways that somebody can access or move through supporting themselves to stop gambling. And now I just wanted to ask you for anyone listening who's hoping to support someone they know or love with a gambling addiction, have you got any words from them? Because 
what I've taken from you is it can be tough to to watch that person and their behaviors might not seem rational from the outside. Yes. And this is where I would have had experience of picking the phone up to people at that national helpline. And it would be people who are just, you know, at their wits end, worried about the behavior of, of a loved one, either a son or a daughter or a spouse or a parent. Um, and it's very, very difficult because you know, on one level, I feel like it's been you know, it's the school of hard knocks. It's the tough love to say, don't rescue. Because whilst you want the best for them, bailouts are the worst thing that can happen for someone who's, who has particularly a gambling addiction. Because until they take responsibility for their own behavior, their recovery journey will most likely fail to materialize. So yes, provide support, but invariably what you hear when you're listening to these people is they say, oh, well, you know, we paid off their mortgage uh, because, you know, it's going to be a foreclosure and the bailiffs were at the door. But, you know, sooner or later, the, uh, the person with the problem goes back gambling. It's tough. And the problem just becomes bigger. Yeah, so personal responsibility and perhaps giving people the tools in terms of the numbers or talking to them about counselling, but actually that financial contribution or, or perhaps clearing the path when it all starts to get muddied is is not the, the way forward. I think I've just mixed about six metaphors there, but uh, <laughs> n- never mind. <laughs> Your final words on on gambling addiction for anybody who's searched on counselling directory and is listening to this podcast and wanting to know what can I do next what would you say to them reach out and seek help in whatever way you can there's lots of there is the national helpline maybe speak to them there's counselling and therapy I'd obviously advocate but there's also lots of people who are there to listen and you know, just take stock that you're not alone because it can be a very, very lonely, silent, suffering experience. And people often are leading double lives. So there might be a history of making promises to loved ones and saying they're on the straight and narrow, but then they're secretly gambling, they have a secret account. And and actually the pain of that is that when the winds come, there's no one to share it with because they're not supposed to be gambling, right? Very isolating. So accessing help is the key thing. You're not alone. And again, going back to what we said earlier, it, it depends where they are, where they are on the pendulum. Because if someone is really acutely, literally gambling every penny they have versus someone who is kind of stop start, they might be binge gambling. They kind of have it under control, but they have these lapses. So, you know, along that pendulum, that's quite a difference in presentation between people from, from those ends. And that would sort of determine what, what sort of help I would suggest they need. Because for someone who has the binge gambling, it's trying to understand what unconscious processes kick in. And sometimes there can be this idea of, critical dates you suddenly realize leading up to a birthday or an anniversary or a special occasion they go crazy with gambling in just a short spurt and they'll bet more than they ever did before so that's interesting to look at you know what what's going on there you know what is it about these dates so 
there was something there maybe unconsciously happening that an inner critic maybe a saboteur that's at play and then that informs the counseling therapy work but at the heart of all of that is reaching out and starting the conversation isn't it because whether that's with the national helpline with a counselor with a trusted friend or, or someone that you you know at work might have experience of the same issues actually saying it out loud and starting to get a grip on what's happening because as you've said throughout the podcast denial is is a huge factor and secrecy and shame so we will make sure that we have all of the information in the the show notes so that people can just pop on there and then get straight through to those websites and helplines thank you so much Noel I've loved talking to you about this and I've learned so much during this conversation can you tell people where they can find you online and more information about the work you do it's nice and easy. Noelbell.net is my website and my Twitter feed or whatever it's called. I thought about this a long time and I came up with a very imaginative, creative title of Ask Noel Bell. So <laughs> nice and easy. And Instagram is at Noel Bell Psych. Wonderful. Thank you. And I hope we'll talk to you again. And thank you for everything today. It's been a pleasure, Lucy. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to I Am, I Have, How It Helps. If you'd like to contact GAMCARE, you can call them now on 0808-8020-133 or visit gamcare.org.uk. All details are also in our show notes. I'd love to encourage you to download the free Happyful app too, as we have information about where you can find mental health support. And if you need immediate help, Samaritans are also open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, on 116 or you can email joe at samaritans.org help is available and you are not alone this podcast is hosted and produced by me lucy donahue for happiful i hope you'll listen again soon